Hi, my name's Amanda, and you're listening to the Secret Teacher Business Podcast, a podcast by a teacher about teaching in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I'm going to be taking next week off to walk the Great Ocean Walk, so there will be a break in transmission. Uh, I'll be back for Term 4, but in the meantime, please enjoy this interview with the Assistant Principal at my school, Melissa Roberts, and she talks about her career and lots of aspects of teaching, and also at the end gives a little advice for people thinking about going into the profession. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate it or leave a review on iTunes, and check out my Facebook page at Secret Teacher Business Podcast. In this podcast, I'm talking to Melissa Roberts, who is the deputy principal at the school that we work at. And um, at this school, in fact, we have two deputy principals, which is a new situation for me. Mm. Mm. So how long have you worked at this school? So this is my fourth year at this school in this role. And Karen, our other assistant principal, it's her third year. So I was here for one year by myself and very quickly <laughs> realised to do, you know, the job well needed someone else. Mm. So we, before we get into mm. the role and what it involves, what's your what's a brief history of your education experience? Mm-hmm. So I started at a school called Park Ridge in Roeville mm-hmm. as a graduate and I was there, I think it's about 12 years. I did two years in grade two, six years in grade six, three years in grade three, and then I did two years as assistant prin. And one of those years I did like a support role in a year one class and I had 15 kids that I taught reading and writing and speaking and literacy to, two hours a day, four days a week. So um, just we had big class sizes and that's the way we kind of got around that. We took five out of each grade. Um, and I th- that was like a dream. <laughs> it's mm. like a dream job, 15 mm. kids just in literacy. And all it who was were incredible. a similar level? No, no, we just okay. did it like a normal class. Okay. Yeah, yeah, varied, varied levels. Hmm. Yeah. So then I decided to look for other jobs and that was a very hard decision because I loved my school. I loved the people I worked with. It was a fantastic school. Um, But I just felt that it was important to work at experience another school because I think in education we can be quite insular that Mm. we just think oh this is the this is the way that our school does it and this is the best way and I was keen to learn um, from other schools and I know there are a lot of teachers that stay at the same school and and education is one that you can be always challenging yourself by different roles or different grades but for me I thought I needed to challenge myself and I also had a lot of friends there and a lot of really good friends there and that was just starting to get a little bit awkward with me being in a leadership role just in in terms of you know socially you always talk about school and I was kind of now stuck in that middle position and I just didn't think that I really needed that stress and it just it gave me the push. I never wanted to be a one school teacher <clears throat> and so it gave me the push. Hmm. Yeah. 
So I actually have taught for quite a long time. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting when you count up the years, because mm. I feel in some ways, I mean, we all feel as teachers, I think, as we go on, that we're always growing mm. and always learning new things. And you're surrounded usually by more experienced teachers and younger teachers. Mm. And there comes a point where you go, oh, there's actually more younger teachers yeah. around. Wait, wait. Oh, I'm one um, of the yeah. more experienced ones. How long have I been doing this? Oh, yeah. 17 years or yeah. whatever. And you go, oh. Ah, yes, I have been doing this for quite a while. So you came to this school. Obviously, it's been a challenge because moving schools obviously would be a challenge. But Mm. in what ways, what were the biggest challenges? Oh, there are a lot of challenges. This this job has been really, really challenging, um, but I think been challenging on a personal level as well because so much of leadership is about relationships with people. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 human side of it, mm. and and that's challenging um, no matter what industry you work in. So I guess the challenging thing was moving from the way my school did it to this school, which did it so differently um, in terms of the way the school was structured and planning and collaboration. I think it was about finding that balance of not wanting to come into a school and change everything and say, oh, why are you doing it this way? My way's better. But actually your job is to come in and improve things. And if they had have wanted the same thing to happen, I'm sure that they they might have had, you know, someone in, in, in amongst staff to do that. So probably the biggest challenge was finding that balance. And now when I reflect back it actually feels like a lot longer than four years. I think I did that slowly, but looking back, I think probably there are a few things where I, I could have just got in and, and waited a, a little bit longer. But And the second challenge was building those relationships and building that respect because I came from a school where everyone got promoted within the school and there was a very high work ethic and you really had to prove yourself to experienced teachers and so I gradually moved through the ranks just just I actually didn't have a passion to become an assistant principal ever when I started. It's just in the particular era at my school, there are a lot of people going on maternity leave and the older, more experienced teachers didn't want the leadership positions. And I really loved that element of it. So, um, but I had, I'd built that respect. Whereas you come into a new school and they're like, okay, well, show us what you've got, you know, back that up. You want us to do it this way, back that up. So, you know, you had to really kind of earn that respect. And I think that comes down to curriculum knowledge the way you engage with with the kids um, and the way you engage with the the staff members. Um, And a bit like kids, you have to find that balance of, as a leader, how casual or friendly you want to get to know people on a personal level and then how much you want to keep it you know, very professional. And I think you've, that, that line is quite hard because you want to be open and you want people to feel comfortable with you. But then at the end of the day, you want them to respect you enough in that role that if you say, no, actually, this is what I want you to do, or this is how we're going to do it, that they actually listen to you. Yes, absolutely. And it's similar in a way with parents, 
yeah, of the relationship with parents is something that mm. teachers are constantly balancing. Do mm. you add parents on Facebook? Mm. Do you how you know how long do you chat with them after school? Do you go yeah. out with them socially? Yes, um, yes, yeah. It's, it's a tricky balance. It's really tricky, and it's so important. And I would. I see myself as a very social person. I I want to help people. At heart, I have a caring nature. But it's that balance of then solving people's problems to help them out or coaching them through that to to work it out themselves. Mm. And I think that's probably what uh, I was challenged with most at the start and how I've grown the most. And Karen, our other assistant principal, has, has really supported me in that. And Doug Elliott, the principal, has been really great in that too, of just stepping back and thinking about how can I help this person figure this out themselves or grow themselves, but still feel like they still make them feel like I'm not just going, you know, swishing them away and... Mm. Feeling supported, yeah, mm. but not mm, too much. Yeah, <laughs> not sort of carried on your back, more yeah. sort of, yeah, helped along. Yeah, yeah. Now that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that, and I think that's something I struggle with too. Sometimes is just jumping in and saying, "Oh, I'll do that," or "I'll, I'll you yes. know, do this," and da da da. Yes, and overcommitting as yeah. well. And I think that's the biggest challenge in that you, if you do too many things, you don't do anything well. And um, I think, unfortunately, that's the way teaching's going. As a class teacher, that's all very well to say, but you've got your head in so many different areas, not to mention all the human side of it. That's really challenging and it's the same in leadership. And even though this year I've geared more towards welfare and well-being, it's still you've got so many things on the go and it's all very well to say don't multitask or don't take on too many things. There are things in the day that just have to get done. Mm. So finding that balance of, um, you know, not letting admin creep in so you're still able to get into the classrooms Mm. but then still have a work-life balance (laughs) because if you get into the classrooms all day, every day, then you're working till 10, 11 o'clock at night Catching up on all the admin side. Yeah. It's non-stop. Yeah. I've always thought that one of the secrets of teaching is when you've been somewhere long enough to know where you can cut a corner or two, like what things really matter and what Mm. things don't. Because I know in the classroom you've got parents, other staff, leadership, office, everyone's throwing things at you to do. Yeah. Yeah what are the most important things and which things can you sort of put off till next week or put off Mm. till next month or Mm. whatever and what things need to be done now because there's no one telling you what's actually the most important thing to do in the moment. And I've had moments where I've stood in the middle of my classroom in my APT time, my free time, and thought, what do I do now? Yeah. There's so much. Mm. I prepare for the next lesson because that's coming up right now. Yeah. But then what is the next thing that's most important? And it's quite hard when there's 20 to 50 things to choose from. Actually, probably the two best things that I've learned from leadership conferences or PL around that is in my inbox, I have a do folder, a delay folder, and they said to do a delegate folder, but I don't you do that because if I'm if I have to delegate I do it straight away and so I've kind of slacked off a bit on this part but they said to 
when you put your email on, skim through it and flick them into the, those folders. So it's not so overwhelming mm. when you go to your computer and you're like, oh, great, I've got 70 emails in the last two hours since I've come back to my desk. So that was a really good strategy because it cuts that anxiety straight away because you're like, okay, these are the ones that I really have to do now. These are the ones I can delay. I'm going to flick these off to delegate and it just makes it a little bit more bearable. I find that really useful, although sometimes I forget to actually look in the do because <laughs> I've gone, oh, yeah. my God, look at these emails. Yeah. And the other thing is on your to-do list, label them A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. So, like, the A's need to get done. These are B's. These are C's. And I because that is one of the challenges, it's just so overwhelming, I found that really helpful. Mm, that's interesting. Really helpful. Mm, I like that. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Half my problem is I think I look at them in the morning at work because I try and check my email between sort of 8 and 8.30 if I can. And I think, oh, okay, there's a few here that I can do tonight. And then I go home and because I did casual teaching for the last two years and mm. I also did a lot of casual teaching at the start of my teaching career mm. – when I get home, I've shut off. Mm, mm. <laughs> and so the next morning I go, oh, there's that whole list of emails I was meaning to address. Mm. It's just snowballs. Yeah, it really does. It, mm. it, it really does. Emails are such a great way to communicate, but they definitely add in mm. another layer. And also a terrible way to – like, yes, in some ways they're great, and I totally agree. I mean, what would we be doing all day, mm. just walking from classroom mm, to classroom, mm. delivering messages? But also if you send an email to more than one person – the chances of anyone replying yeah. just dissolve into nothing. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm sure you get this ten times more than I do, but I sent an email just yesterday to one of the levels uh, asking for a resource, and if they listen, they'll know what I'm talking about. But, you know, there were six people included on the email and not one person has replied to the email because they probably thought, oh, well, somebody else will do, it. Has, will do it. And I'm looking for a resource that might be anywhere in the school. And so they probably just thought, well, I don't have it. I'm not replying, which is exactly what I would do. Yeah. But I haven't had anything back. And I thought, well, the next step is to walk around and go yeah. and talk to all these people <laughs> and actually find it. And it'll turn up and it's yeah. not desperate, but that's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many minutes a day do you reckon you spend on email? Oh, way too many. Way too many. Today I haven't been on my email. Tomorrow I, I mean, I, I could, I honestly could spend two hours a day on email and still not get through to them because some of them, you know, you really have to read through or action. I just try now what something that Karen and I do is if we've had a day where we're chasing kids around or parents or a major issue that's pulled us away and we haven't even touched our to-do list and there's more added on. We just go, instead of saying, oh, I haven't done anything today, we list actually what we did. Well, actually we, we went and supported that student or that teacher that needed help mm. or we we worked with this but whatever it was we just say well actually we did we did achieve something today it's just not what we planned to achieve mm. yeah mm. and who are we here for the, the kids. kids exactly <laughs> <laughs> so that's the most important thing yeah that's right yeah it's just not the only thing so yeah. speaking of karen division of labor how does it work at this school well Technically, we have like different portfolios, but we work really collaboratively 
with each other. So when I was here by myself, uh, I was doing curriculum and wellbeing. And when Karen came, what we did was I large component of my portfolio at the start was fundraising as well as <laughs> um, well-being, welfare, literacy. Hadn't real, I just couldn't get to numeracy, like it was physically impossible. And so the year Karen came on, we decided to put on two coaches part-time. So we did. I did literacy with a um, a coach, a literacy coach, and she did numeracy with a numeracy coach. Um, and but then we, the four of us, would all meet together and with the principal to collaboratively talk about our like the teaching and learning approach. So it was the same. And then the following year, we we didn't have both the coaches, and I kind of had just a lot of welfare and well-being had snuck in and I love curriculum so much but I probably well-being now is snuck into I was always 50-50 or is now I'd probably say it's more my passion and I think when some some things your passion you put more energy and time into it and and therefore you're kind of known for that so then this year we kind of just went, you know what, I'm going to do well-being and you do curriculum. I think the year before that, she did a bit of literacy as well. And and the other thing is you've got to be careful with two APs is you're not competing against each other in mm. terms of your message. So right. I kind of said to her at, at one point and Lauren, the coach, I just think there's too many heads in literacy. There's too many voices. And although we can all sit together and we're all on pretty much the same page, sometimes the message is slightly different. So this year I said Karen and I agreed and Lauren, like, you two will really head literacy and I'll head wellbeing. But in saying that, we still, (laughs) every time we do something major, we kind of both do it. So Karen will do the SWPBS training as well as I, and I'll do the literacy basto training in parts as well so that we still can collaborate together. So although we kind of have different portfolios, anything major like a curriculum day or um, a changing curriculum or AIP focuses, professional development plans, professional learning communities, we still collaborate together on. Mm. It's just that you've got one person kind of getting in and making sure it's on track. Mm. So to segue from that, um, you mentioned SWPBS, Mm. a massive acronym. Yes. So school-wide positive behaviour. Some call it support, some call it systems. Mm. So. Could you go into a little bit about what that's about, where mm-hmm. it's come from? Well, it, it, it came from PBS, PBIS, I think, Positive Behaviour Support. I actually don't know what the I stands for. Um, and that's from America. It was an American. Positive um, Behaviour in Schools? It, yeah, it could have been actually. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. So mm. that's a, an American initiative 
and when Victoria took it on, they chucked in the school wide. And they actually, the government in Victoria really tried to pump this a few years ago and just wasn't, didn't have the funding and didn't have the structure to get off the ground, whereas now it's gathering real momentum. But basically, its premise is based upon a positive psychology slant in regards to acknowledging appropriate behaviours. But in saying that, it has very clear boundaries and processes on how to respond to inappropriate behaviours. So the focus goes on using your school values and they say three to five is enough any more values is too much. I, I think three is perfect. Mm-hmm. I think even four or five is too many for a primary school for anyone mm. to really embed and remember. Keep it simple. And it's, so our three values are respect. Responsibility and learners. Yes. Yeah. So depending on how you say it. Yes. Um, so you use those values to look at, okay, well, what does respect look like in the school mm. and breaking it down into areas. So what does it look like to be respectful, responsible and learners in the playground, in the classroom, in the computer room, in the toilets even? <laughs> that was a bit oh. tricky for the learners. <laughs> Not screaming in the toilets. Yeah. That's uh, uh, various other behaviours. Yeah. Yep. And I guess that's where it comes down to when, when we think about talking about behavior expectations we think about what we don't want to do Mm. and the positive psych spin goes okay what would it look like if we were doing it Mm. so the behavior expectation that I deal with the most (laughs) is we are respectful when we keep our hands and feet to ourselves how many times (laughs) have I said that today alone know it off by heart so um it's just putting that positive slant on it and then acknowledging positive behaviors Mm -hmm. that that I would say that's the actual premise of it Going further is the explicit teaching of the behaviours and just stating that kids don't learn if they're not explicitly taught something. We don't just go, oh, the kids will learn how to read. We'll just put a whole heap of books out (laughs) and just give them time to read and they'll learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... um, And maybe a handful of them might. Maybe a handful of them might. But not the majority. Yeah, Mm. and if you look at things like numeracy, probably reading is a a poor choice, but especially numeracy or even writing, really, Mm. if they're, you know, upskilling their writing, they need to be explicitly taught. And the Mm. same goes for social-emotional learning. Mm. So the SWPBS has a focus on actually explicitly teaching the appropriate behaviours so that the the students have got the skills to show those appropriate behaviours. Mm. And over time, it's a it's a long burn with SWPBS. You're mm. talking about five, at minimum five years mm. to see massive, massive change. If you're teaching the kids explicitly, then the behaviour should improve because they know what's expected and they know how to demonstrate it. Mm. And then the next part of SWPBS, that's Tier 1, and that's the universal side where if if you do that, the majority of kids will be okay, they'll get it. And then the next Tier 2 and Tier 3 are more specific interventions Mm. and that's around functional behaviour. And I've, I've really loved learning about this. It's really changed the way I... I approach students with inappropriate behaviour and it's about going in and watching what's happening and finding out, yes, they're triggers, 
but why did they do that behavior so Mm. not focusing on what they're doing why what are they wanting what are they needing Mm. what are they getting out of doing that behavior Mm. and then addressing the need and replacing so if it's a need for attention from the teacher replacing that attention not taking or taking it away Mm. saying okay how can I give them that attention in an appropriate way Mm. and that's the next level of SWPBS so um, and I guess in terms of responding to inappropriate behavior you have your five major behaviors and and there's very clear process on if students demonstrate those, then it's followed up consistently, mm. and that's very time consuming. <laughs> mm, it really is, and it's not just important for the child that you're dealing with, but the children who are watching you yeah. deal with them. Yeah, yeah. All children want to see everyone treated fairly. Yes. Yes. And that's what I love about it. Mm. That That's what I absolutely love about it. Like sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with inappropriate behaviours in the classroom as well, you even subconsciously might give a completely different consequence and not to different kids and not even realise it. And every single kid that comes to my office that gets, you know, dragged up there or whatever, they always feel like they're hardly done by. Oh, yes. And... A lot of the time, you know, the typical one is, oh, but that kid was talking and I got in trouble for it. And, you know, as a teacher, you you can't grab everything. And sometimes you do turn around and you're like, right. Um, And so I really love that because it's like, did you... Did you do whatever the behaviour was? Right, look at our values. We are respectful when we. You didn't do that. It's the same for everyone. And that has really helped working with our really difficult students and our students with a trauma background mm. because it's just it's it's not a new set of rules. It's like this is this is the these are the rules. Mm. And it's the same for everyone. Mm. It's very interesting. And we didn't have at my last school we didn't have such a comprehensive well thought out structure we just started just before I left we started with uh, restorative justice Mm -hmm. so the idea that not not explaining it to you but to the Mm -hmm. people listening Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not just consequence the issue's over it's if there's a victim and perpetrator Mm. sort of relationship going on there should be some sort of communication and the person who is the aggressor or who has done the wrong thing to someone else should be explaining themselves and should be listening to the person who has suffered in some way and Mm -hmm. letting the two parties communicate and letting there be more empathy and Mm -hmm. understanding happening as opposed to just the teacher is the power person and they're dishing out the punishments and then that's where it stops because a lot of kids are left feeling very dissatisfied by that process. Yeah, and and that's what they did a lot of work on prior to myself starting and, and you starting Amanda. Um, and I would hope, I, I think that that's still quite embedded mm. in the school. Mm. So I, I still use that with any incident that happens, you know, getting both sides of the story mm, and how did absolutely. it make you feel and what would make this feel better or what would make this situation better, how can the person, a tone mm. <laughs> I think restorative practices is brilliant mm. yeah I found it very interesting because mm. I hadn't really thought about it before mm. because as a child going through school yeah you know, at our ages Earlier, sort yeah. of very different you know you just accepted that the teacher was God and mm. what they said went mm. and you went away and yeah that was the end of it and yeah. so looking at it differently is quite eye-opening 
so I found it really interesting and I'm interested to see how it progresses within this school. Yeah, look, there's a long way to go and, I mean, you could talk and talk and talk about it. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what I really like about it too is it starts with involving the whole community mm. a, about what are the things that are working well in the school and what are the areas of concern and then that and that's the part you missed, mm. working with the the kids, the parents and the staff and saying, okay, what are the things that we're not happy with, with, you know, our behaviour, our community, and then going, okay, well, what would we need to teach them to address that? And that's where the values come from. Mm-hmm. So they're not just picked out of, oh, yeah, we like respect, we like responsibility, we, we think that that makes a good person. Mm. Yes, they do, but we needed values that were going to address the problems at our school. Mm. Now, respect is a pretty common, mm. universal one. Mm. Um, and, yet, and yet, especially in the junior school, I think a lot of children don't really consciously understand what it means until it's yeah. very clearly explained. Yes, mm. yeah. And and that's what I think is really great. Like, I don't think the junior kids would put their hand up and say, or even the older kids, respect is walking quietly in the in the mm. in the corridor. Mm. They know that you should walk quietly in the corridor, mm. but they perhaps might not have linked that, that mm. it's actually being respectful to the other people in the school. So mm. yeah, it's back to that explicit teaching. And mm. I think, you know, I love inquiry and I think student voice is so important and challenge-based learning. I I really think that's the next step at our school. But I don't ever think there's going to be a time where there's there's not a need for explicit teaching. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the units, because I mean, I'm very passionate about student voice and inquiry-based learning because we just get, got into that at my last mm. school for the pr- mm. previous few years um, and I'd really loved it. But a lot of that did involve periods of explicit teaching, yeah. definitely, especially in the beginning when you were starting on a new topic that the kids were really interested in, they didn't actually necessarily know a lot no, about but, it. Yeah. Like a unit yeah. we did on homelessness, we really had to go into statistics and how to look at graphs and statistics yeah. just to understand the information we were finding online about homelessness before we could then explore it more yeah. in an emotional way. And yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Definitely think that's the next step for this school to mm. really take it to that next level because mm. we've had a really strong focus on curriculum and pedagogy and I think, that that next step is getting in that voice and inquiry and and challenge based learning mm. we, because i think that we've got that basis of teachers being very organized and on top of it and and understanding individual needs and tracking them and that's so important in inquiry learning and i think that's mm. where inquiry learning got pushed through in a lot of schools way too quickly mm. without mm. that proper training of what you need to do to make it successful yeah i mean gosh that's a good description of many things that happen mm. in schools <laughs> things being pushed in very quickly um in my last interview i was talking to an ex student teacher of mine max who's fantastic and we were talking about open learning Uh, open learning spaces Mm, mm. and how if teachers are sort of pushed into team teaching relationships without being trained in how to do it, without being given really explicit PD, it can fail horrendously. Absolutely. And I've heard of many schools where that's happened and other schools where it's worked terrifically, but it really is 
a big thing. It's like technology as well. Yeah. You can't just throw technology at teachers and expect them to use it. You've got to really train them to embed it and make it really work. I mean, Mm. yeah, it's everything. 100%, yeah. So, yeah, that's teaching. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Not enough time to do a lot of wonderful things that we want to do. I feel like we've kind of wrapped it up a little bit. But to finish off, is there any advice you have for people just starting out as teachers or thinking of going into teaching? Um, well, for people that are thinking of going into teaching, uh, this is something I feel very passionately about. I still unfortunately think that there's a stigma out there about teaching, that it's an easy job and, oh, it's great if you want to have a family. And there's 11 weeks work, holiday. Yeah, you get yeah. all those holidays <laughs> and um, you, you work 9 till 3.30 it's it's a really hard job and if you're not in it because you want to make a difference for kids then you have no business mm. being in a school because it's actually a really really challenging challenging job and on every level on on every level and at <laughs> the end of the day it's always about the kids and if you don't if you don't have that passion to want to support and help kids um and relate with parents yeah if you don't get along with parents and don't make an effort then your work in the classroom is a lot harder absolutely building relationships in the community is vital so if you're not willing to go to the music soirees exactly (laughs) if you're not willing to go to the fates if you're not willing to give up some weekend and evening Mm -hmm. time even though it's not explicitly part of the job yeah just it is yeah and and that that's the advice I, mm. I would – one piece of advice I always say to graduate teachers, mm. you have to make your relationships with your parents. Mm. You have to just, mm. as time-consuming as it is or I'm, after school you've got lots of things to do, you put in that little bit of effort, mm. then it's it's going to really support you and, and the child. And that's like any job. There's always parts of mm. people's jobs that they might not enjoy. And for me, I I love meeting the parents. That, mm, that's one of my favourite things about the the role. I love getting to know the school community. But I, I think probably in terms for graduate teachers, I just kind of remind them that, it, you know, it's about the kids. Mm. And that's something I've taken in as a leader. You get very carried away really quickly and you can lose touch very, very quickly when you're getting all this stuff coming down that you've got to implement from department and you've got to do this and do this and do you want to get on board this and do you want to get on board this? And you have to really stop yourself and go, hang on a minute, how is this going to impact the kids? Because mm. at the end of the day, yet yeah, NAPLAN scores are great when they're great, that's brilliant. We all have a pat on the back, but ultimately we, we need to be doing things for the kids, not not for any other reason. So that would be my advice to graduate teachers to just always bring it back to the kids and just know that your first year it can be very overwhelming. Tell your friends um, and family you're not going to see yeah, them. Yeah, um, but, you know, every year, every year is is such a great challenge and you're always learning mm. and it's so rewarding. I just I'm not sure what other job um, mm. would be more rewarding and, you know. Yeah, you'd have to be in medicine or something, I reckon. Yeah. I always it, think that yeah. teaching, like, on every level, social, physical, emotional, I don't know about spiritual, but mental, like everything gets challenged every day. 
you're physically active, yeah. you're emotionally, oh my yeah. goodness, it's like yeah. standing in a revolving door going from upset to yeah. overjoyed to yeah. disapproving to yeah. <laughs> yeah. everything. You're you're learning new things with the kids all the time. They're teaching us so much yeah. all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just constantly growing but exhausting because yeah. of that. Yeah. There's not a moment where you can just switch off and just stack shelves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? And and I think too with graduate teachers and I know even myself when I started like you want to you want to be that person for every single kid or you you mm. want to make sure every single kid improves whether that be academically, socially mm. and you know the really tough cases where there's you've got a student that's got you know not not great things going on in their in their personal or home life and you think oh I'm going to I'm going to be that person to fix them mm. I think it's really important and you I'm I'm sure you'd agree you only kind of learn this with the more experience you get Absolutely you can't you you, you might not be able to 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 fix every every child or you know make that difference for every kid but sometimes you think oh I'm gonna work really well with that student or they're gonna love me and it just for whatever reason it doesn't Doesn't happen but every year you're always connecting and touching you know a particular student in a way that's going to stay with them or you get those kids where you've connected so well that year you have them and then the next year it's like you don't exist (laughs) yeah You know, it's they heartbreaking. move on. And it's heartbreaking. <laughs> you feel genuinely, especially in the beginning, I remember connecting really strongly with a few kids in my class who were on the outer or, you know, a bit misfit or whatever. And I thought, oh, they're just going to love me forever. Yeah. And then the next year they've moved on. Couldn't care less. And yeah. then other kids who, who you don't connect with yeah. hugely. Yeah. And then they come back and see you. Yeah. You know, and every week for the following year they just pop in and say hello I had a child who I barely spoke to, I reckon, the whole year he was in my class. He was really quiet and very academic. Six years later, he came back and just popped into my classroom to say hello Mm. because he was graduating from high school and wanted to tell me how he'd gone. Yeah, that's beautiful. It was lovely. And I think they're the kids that you often don't, you don't know you're making a real impact on. Absolutely. So you just never know what difference you're making to children. Sometimes, yeah, you think it's huge and it's... The child doesn't even remember you. <laughs> and other times they're just quietly going by and Yeah. And then they send you that email years on and you've actually really touched their life. Yeah. And they've got some strong memories that yeah. So who knows? You never know what's going on in another person's head. That's right. That's right. But And that is one hundred times true of children. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Who knows what they're thinking? Yeah. <laughs> or if they're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a very rewarding job. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's hard to imagine. It's funny, I got into teaching and I wasn't even that excited about it. Mm. My parents were both teachers and they said, because I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school and I did it around for a couple of years, and they said, well, you know what, teaching's a good job for travel. Mm. You'll always get some work. Just how about start the degree and if you find something else you love, go into that. Mm. And uh, never looked back. Yeah. My passion built, which was probably yeah. a good way to do it. Yeah, I, I would agree the same with Did myself. you go to uni straight after school? Or? Yeah, I did. And I often think, oh. Have you ever had a time off, like a decent no, amount? No, not really, no. I cannot the, recommend it highly enough. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I probably regret that. I, I would have liked to have done some travel like a year off, mm. like in the middle of uni, at the start, at the end, whatever, mm. um, or earlier in my career. I've done a lot of travel but not for long periods of time. It's but never too late. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but 
I went through a period where I was like, oh, this is not for me. Like mm. I just can't imagine myself in this. And and I really love the kids, but I do I did find just being it, like the same routine over mm. and over again, Monday to Friday is mm. the same. I, I just I didn't cope with that really well and that's why I think leadership really suited me mm. because it's so every day is so different, mm. especially the assistant principal role, mm. I think. But I definitely had a time there where I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do this and I really can't imagine anything else now and I don't want to imagine anything else. Mm. So, yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) I think we can probably wrap it up there. But thank you so much for talking to me and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And you're an inspiration to the teaching profession. (laughs) (laughs) Just for doing a podcast? Yeah. Oh, all right. I'll take that. (laughs) And if anyone's listening to this and is interested in being interviewed, if you're a teacher out there who has something to offer, um, I don't know, connect. I've got a Facebook page now. It's very exciting. Mm. (laughs) I know, I'm all over it. Welcome to Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll end it there. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.